thank you guys all for joining us today. Welcome to the fourth ever episode of our talk show, Means of Creation. In this show, we are interviewing founders and operators who are building technology companies in the passion economy, helping people to leverage their passions and creativity to make a living. I'm your host, Lee Jin, along with Nathan Bashez. And our guests today are Eric Berlin and Leah Culver, the co-founders of Breaker, a social podcasting app that went through YC in winter 2017 that aims to make podcasting more social. Breaker has overtaken Apple Podcasts as my default podcasting app. Some features that I love of it are that you can see what shows and episodes your friends are listening to, discover popular podcasts from the community. And one of my favorite features is being able to browse other people's profiles and see what episodes they actually appear on as a podcast guest. And beyond the fact that it's a cool app, we're very excited for today's show because Nathan and I are both podcasting enthusiasts. I spent a very long time studying the podcasting and audio landscape at my last job at A16Z. And Nathan used to work at Gimlet, the podcasting production company that was acquired by Spotify last year. A quick plug that this show is brought to you by the Everything Newsletter Bundle, which you can find at everything.substack.com. So without further ado, let's dive in. First of all, thank you so much, Leah and Eric, for being here today. We're really glad to have you on the show. Thanks so much for having us. Thanks for the very, very kind intro, adding with both of you. <laughs> and what else we can say about Breaker? I think you are probably two of the smartest people in the podcast space, so I'm not sure what, what we'll be able to tell you that you don't already know, but happy to answer whatever questions I'm you I'm sure have. there's going to be a lot. So, well, we have a few questions for you and we'd love to have a discussion. I'll kick it off by asking about, you know, podcasting has been around for a while. I think it's been around as a medium for about 15 or 20 years or so. Apple Podcasts launched in 2012 um, as a standalone app. And there's, there's now a huge number of podcasting apps out there. I'd love to hear from you guys. What was the original thesis behind Breaker and how has that thesis been validated or evolved over time? Yeah, I can take that one. Breaker came at a time where I, I really didn't listen to podcasts up until just a few years ago. And I started listening to podcasts through Serial, probably like the most popular podcast of all time. So that was sort of my first podcast listening experience and I loved it. And I was like, what is this? Um, and how can I find more of it? And then I think my struggle at that point was I was using the Apple podcast app and they recommend like entire podcasts and it's unclear like what they're about or who's in them or why I should care about them. So I tried a few and I was like, this isn't really working. And then I ended up just asking friends for recommendations, but I get such varied responses that I was like, I, I just don't know, you know, cause what, what I'm looking for. And so I talked with Eric about this. I sent him an email and I was like, what do you think of pot? Like I, I recognize there was this huge gulf between sort of like where the technology could be and like where it is, where it was at that point, this four years ago in helping, basically helping people discover podcasts. And so one of the insights we've had um, at Breaker is to focus on sort of episode level discovery and to sort of try these different ways of surfacing episodes that you may want to listen to based on a bunch of factors. So based on what your friends are listening to, for example, or if your friends are a guest on an episode or top top lists today, this week, this month um, of all users on the platform, top things within different categories, and then episodes based on other episodes you've listened to. So just a whole bunch of stuff. And basically we've sort of transformed podcasting from being like, you have to hear about something and then subscribe to it to being like, you can just open the Breaker app and there'll probably be something on that front screen that you'll want to listen to. Yeah, I agree. I think most of my podcasts that I listen to are still from friend recommendations. I think the discovery experience is still really challenging, even though I think there's something like 1 million podcasts now in existence. Like the, the number of podcasts that most people listen to is relatively small. It's very concentrated and it's just really hard to find interesting content and to search deep within an episode. That brings me to another question that I had, which I was recently rereading the Infinite Dial report from this year. Basically, podcasting TLDR continues to chug along in terms of the percentage of Americans who are listening. Something like a third of Americans are listening on a monthly basis, a quarter on a weekly basis. Based on our internal research from A16Z, we actually believe that those numbers are a little overstated and that the true percentage of Americans listening to podcasts is lower than that. But anyways, like 
at a high level. What is that based on? Out of curiosity? Like, yeah, we sort did, of try and your methodology? Yeah, yeah, the same question. Our methodology was based on looking at data from Libsyn and looking at how much of it came from Apple Podcasts and then looking at Apple Podcasts market share and the number of uh, users of Apple Podcasts and then backing that out into like the number of users in America who were listening to podcasts. And how did you determine Apple Podcasts market share? I think that was from, yeah, it was from Libsyn. And they basically show like the percentage of listens by app. Got it. So yeah, I so, mean, I think it's, yeah. that, that makes sense as a methodology. I think like the possible source of bias is, you know, insofar as podcasts hosted on Libsyn aren't a representative sample of the entire Correct. podcast ecosystem. You know, if there's a lot of podcasts that aren't hosted on Libsyn, like, you know, as far as I know, like some of the biggest podcasts, like all NPR shows, Joe Rogan, you know, none of those are hosted on, on Libsyn as far as I'm aware. So yeah, yeah it seems Absolutely. like that would just be it's, missing a lot of. Right. The basis of the data was from Libsyn, which, you know, may or may not be representative of all podcasts as a whole. But I guess the higher level takeaway from that study that I got is like, Podcasting is still not really mainstream in America the same way that watching TV or listening to the radio is like, and beyond that, it is just growing linearly. There's not really uh, acceleration in podcast consumption. And I'm curious if you guys had any thoughts on why is that like podcasts have been around for a long time. Why hasn't it gone mainstream? Yeah, I think it's getting there. I think your your characterization of it is right, and it's definitely not mainstream yet. And podcasts aren't growing hyperlinearly; they're not growing exponentially, but they have really been chugging chugging along with just kind of double consistent, like double digit percentage growth every year for the last decade. And I think honestly, like nothing else is really growing at that rate. Like television isn't growing at that rate. Radio isn't growing at that rate. So everything else is just kind of flat and podcasts are, are catching up. And to me, I, I've looked very deeply at that same report. And I think what's fascinating is that, um, you know, people listen to audio about four hours a day, which is more than they um, do anything else other than uh, sleep, work and watch TV. I think those are the only other activities people do more than that. People listen to audio more than they are on the Internet even. So, you know, obviously that's a huge space and about half of that today is terrestrial radio, but then when they split it by people who've, who actually listen to podcasts, once you listen to podcasts, once you discover podcasts, all of a sudden the share of radio, I think is cut in half. It goes down from 50% to 25% and, and podcast takes up 50%. So, you know, I think it's just one of these things. It's like slow burn, right? Like podcasts mm-hmm. are slowly being discovered people are telling their friends about it. And once you discover it, it sticks. Like, it's not like um, there's a lot of churn of, you know, people saying like, oh, like I tried podcasts for a year, but now I'm going back to my radio. So, you know, I, I totally get that like investors are, uh, can be very impatient and want to see exponential growth and, and hyper growth and stuff like that. But for us, I think, you know, we're actually really happy with the, the growth rate of the in- industry. I think we've accelerated that growth since we started with our, approach that's that's pretty different and doesn't require you to know about podcasts to get started like leo was saying like Mm -hmm. you can just open the app you don't need to know the name of any podcast to be a podcast listener on breaker you can just open the app you don't need to subscribe to anything you can just play whatever's most popular that day or that week and and see what your friends are listening to and and get recommendations that way and so you know i think that has really helped accelerate the growth and uh, yeah i think you know relative to music or TV or, or any of these other categories you mentioned, it's growing really fast. So, so we're super excited about that. And some of the technology is just sort of catching up now, right? So things like AirPods are still fairly recent. The ability to listen to audio quickly. I think one of the reasons that radio is so popular is it's easy to turn it on in the car. Like it yeah. really is just like this barrier to entry that as we see like Apple's CarPlay and Android Auto, as well as other sort of like digital systems for vehicles emerging, smart speakers, headphones, all of the technology around audio is getting better. And I think podcast listening, like on-demand audio, will catch up with that as well, as long as that trend continues. Yeah, totally. Just that little bit of friction of like, 
if you're getting in your car and you have to like look at your phone for like yeah, 45 right? seconds, you know? Yeah, yep. like, like there's still, it's just not quite there. Like I have yeah. CarPlay and it's just like not, it still takes like a little bit too long to get yeah. set up. Whereas I think what's great about like the AirPods is now you can just throw them in and you have your phone and you just press play and you're good, right? Yeah. Yeah, agree. I think there's multiple levels of friction. There's the technology and it not being like a one-click button to turn it on in the car. And also discovery is a major issue where it just feels inaccessible to someone who hasn't listened to podcasts before. Like, where do they even start? I've, When I was doing that podcast study at A16Z, discovered that a lot of people didn't even know that the Apple podcast app was on their phone. Like if you ask them to listen to this podcast, they would actually not know what to do. <laughs> uh, like awareness of the app and how to even listen to it is it's not widespread which was interesting yeah i think that that whole friction is explains a little bit why the growth has been you know linear and, and not super linear right one of the things that i think is really special about podcasts is that it's an open medium Creators make their shows available through this RSS feed, and there's no centralized gatekeepers in the ecosystem. But that all seems to be changing, especially now, this year. And most notably, Spotify is has said that exclusivity is a key part of their podcasting strategy and has acquired a number of companies and is doing exclusive deals with podcast creators. I'm curious about your guys' thoughts on Spotify's strategy and also where Breaker wants to play. Sure. Yeah. I mean, among the big companies, I think Spotify has arguably they're the only company with a coherent podcast strategy. It would be really hard to articulate what Apple's podcast strategy is, for example. It's like the notes app. It's like, (laughs) nice that it's there, but like, you know, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure like Breaker and we have a very small team. I think our team is probably as big as Apple's team working on podcasts. So um, at least on the sort of product side maybe not on uh, review and, and support and stuff like that. But yeah, I think, I think Spotify has overall a very good strategy. They've made some really shrewd acquisitions. Anchor and Gimlet, I think in particular, was really smart of, of them to, to acquire those companies. And they've done a bunch of other big deals since then. And, you know, to me, there, there's a, a few things that, that overall, yeah, Spotify probably has better strategy than anyone else. I think the one thing there are a couple things they're not not doing that well. One is like their strategy in some ways is is their business strategy is to basically bring people in through podcasting, get them listening to podcasts, and then try to sell them a music subscription. And as a result of that business strategy, they basically bundled the user experience of listening to podcasts and music into one app. And I just think fundamentally, you're never gonna, you're never gonna have a great user experience if you're trying to kind of cram those two experiences into one app. You know, f- podcasts and, and music are two like fundamentally different types of audio. You know, your favorite song, maybe you'll listen to a hundred times in a row on repeat, it's three minutes long or five minutes long versus podcasts, which are, you know, 30, 40 minutes, uh, an hour, sometimes even longer. And it's funny, like when I when I worked on I worked at SoundCloud before before starting Breaker, and that was actually one of the problems we had, where people would like follow their favorite podcasts on SoundCloud and then also follow music, and we just had like this one stream where maybe you would hear like two or three songs in a row, and then like an hour long podcast, and it was just like completely incoherent. Spotify's obviously done better, I think, than, than SoundCloud did with with that integration and the user user interface, but I think there's just a lot of features that are, are really particular to podcasts that I'm not sure how they could, could sort of build into that uh, single app without making the music experience much worse, right? Without making it, you know, adding all these features that don't really make sense for music and only make sense for podcasts. And, and you know, I think one other, one other thing that, that maybe you're starting to see from a strategic perspective is as Spotify sort of consolidates power, more open podcasts, pod, podcasts they don't own are becoming skeptical of Spotify. And so I think, you know, you'll start to see in the same way that that a lot of podcasts wouldn't allow Luminary to list their open podcasts and mm-hmm. the, you know, behind the Luminary paywall. I think you'll start to see the same thing more and more with Spotify. And so, you know, I think 
they'll struggle to sort of be able to claim, hey, we have every every podcast on the platform the way an app like Breaker can. Hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of podcasters have this very strong philosophical bent towards openness and like they are sticklers for even defining what a podcast is and it has to be open and available everywhere. And I think I, I recall that when Luminary launched, there was a lot of grumbling from that community about like, this isn't even a podcast. Like if it's not available openly, then that's that's not even considered a podcast. And they have this, yeah, there's a strong philosophical underpinning towards like openness and decentralization. Yeah, which is great. I mean, for us, like that's one of the reasons why the space was so exciting for us. Like we could build an app and all of a sudden we get, you know, overnight access to those 1 million podcasts that are out there. We didn't, wouldn't need to like create our own content. So it's sort of, for us, it like solved that half of the chicken and the egg problem. With a media app, you're like, okay, we're going to make a social media app. But then on day one, you have no media to start yeah. with where, because we built a podcast app, we had, we had all that media to start with. And for us, like we thought, okay, there's all this great content. Actually, the bigger problem is just finding the content that's right for you and, and solving that discovery problem. So that's really where we focused our efforts. And yeah, I think that's paid off for us. Totally. I'm curious if y'all think there's any, like when we talk about the open standards, the, the huge like sort of reigning champ of open standards is the web, of course, right? Which like started off as like a pretty simple spec and there was kind of threats from like Microsoft and Adobe with proprietary little components that would get put in. Um, but then eventually like open standards one, lot of innovation. Now we have like tons of really, really high powered, interesting things that you can do in browsers. Like there's, you know, Figma is a pretty great example of like, it's pretty amazing what you can do in a browser these days. Do you anticipate anything close to that being possible to happen in podcasting where there's like sort of innovation on the standards? Yeah, it's been stale for, for a long time. And I think it's actually worth unpacking when you say the web, it's easy to just kind of throw that term around, but like the web is, is like, literally dozens of open standards coming together, right? Yeah. It's HTTP and HTTPS. It's also HTML. It's also JavaScript, things like WebSockets. It's, it's things like DNS, right? Like the fact that you can type in a domain name, right? These are all different open standards kind of evolving at their, their own pace as they need to. And I think that's part of what makes the web really great. For podcasts, you're right. It's been really stale. We've had RSS for, yeah, something like 20 years now, or at least... RSS actually goes back even further than that, but RSS yeah. with embedded audio, with that audio enclosure has been around for, for a couple of decades and hasn't, hasn't changed much. There was a, yeah, some, some early revisions to it and then it's, it's basically been static. Arguably part of that is because it, it works pretty well. I think the things that it doesn't work for, which you know, we can talk about more are things like um, monetization, but you know, in terms of the actual user experience, listener experience, I think the, the current standard works pretty, pretty well. And I haven't actually seen a lot of proposals from anybody to, to push that forward. I guess the, the one that there has been is, and the name is escaping me now, it was a three-letter acronym, the NPR. Like, Remote audio rad, data? That's the one. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I think like that, that has been like one recent attempt to, to change podcasting. And, you know, I think it was really focused on a sort of, you know, a benefit to, to advertisers and that hasn't been largely adopted by podcast apps like Breaker and there hasn't really been a push from podcasters either. So, yeah, I think that's, that's, that's maybe the one attempt. But yeah, I mean, one of the other, two of the other standards that, that make up the web are OAuth and OEmbed, which are actually standards that, that Leah helped to develop. So I should probably just shut up and let her talk about open standards in the web. Oh, Leah, you're muted. Leah, you're muted. Uh, sorry, I'm muted because I also have a dog and I'm like, oh, is my dog barking? <laughs> yeah, uh, no, I mean, I think what's interesting is that I think we're just sort of now catching up to podcasts being able to sort of like innovate and to have, you know, for example, Breaker has like a tighter connection between podcasters and the listening app than most um, apps do. And so we're able to experiment and try some new things. For example, the thing you saw where we've added like guest credits, like you can see who's been like a guest on podcasts that's not available in any other app. So, so we're experimenting with sort of some th things that go beyond the RSS standard, whether those get put back into the standard, I, I think we'd like to do, but it's, it's um, still TBD. Yeah. That's usually how standards evolve, right? Like you have a single 
implementer build something, right? Like XML HTTP request, you know, which Microsoft initially built into Internet Explorer. And then the other browsers were like, oh, like we want that too. Like, let's just standardize that. And I think like that's how the web moved forward in, in large part into how it is today, where you'd have like one or two major players basically just putting out features. And if those features fail, then nobody else integrates them. And if those features are useful and successful and customers adopt them and, and you know, in the case of the web developers, but in the case of podcast podcasters actually use them, then, then you'll see more and more support for them. And, you know, for example, like one example of that is like, I think you're starting to see more and more podcasts use like chapters and chapter artwork now, which is actually part of the MP3 standard. It has nothing to do yeah. with podcasts. It's actually really hard to implement here. Like, you know, there's definitely folks working on like, how can we make it easier to sort of have like chapter markers than in audio, so. Yeah, I'm not even sure. I'm, I don't want to speak ill of Apple podcasts, uh, but I'm pretty sure they still don't support that in their app. That might be wrong, but they, they didn't fairly recently. I'm, I'm pretty sure they haven't. I'm curious about your guys' thoughts on Luminary Media. So for those of you guys in the audience who don't know Luminary, it's this podcasting app that is aiming to create the Netflix of podcasting. In other words, a subscription for a library of premium podcasts that are not available anywhere else. So sort of reminiscent of the Spotify exclusivity strategy, but it really came out of the gate uh, with this library of content that was not available anywhere else, charging users a subscription price for that. I'm curious what you guys make of that and if there's been any learnings for you watching that unfold. Yeah, I think, I think the biggest learning is that we could have raised a lot more money. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it was interesting. I mean, they, it was, let's, let's be honest, the money was raised was like the kid of, of hedge fund manager. Like it was like, a, let's see what we can do if we just throw money at this problem instead of like, we have a great solution, let's use money to scale it. And I think those, we always like to watch those and laugh like Quibi and color and they're always kind of fun to watch. So to see that happen in podcasting, like, okay, what if we just take all this cash and throw it at a problem? What happens? And around the same time that they were sort of launching, we also talked to the same. So what they did is they, they talked to different podcast um, producers in the way that Netflix talks to like television producers and, and they buy content in the same way that Netflix buys content. And uh, or Netflix has many ways they buy content, but one of the main ways they buy content is they go to TV producers and, and get them to make stuff for them. And we would talk to the same TV producers and heard similar pitches, found out how much they want to sell their content for, and then realized that they were saving all their best ideas and their best shows for the open ecosystem. And I think this comes back to what you were saying, Lee, about that the podcast ecosystem is still relatively small. Not everyone is listening to podcasts. And so in order to have the audience numbers that they wanted, I mean, for many reasons, like for vanity, for, you know, it's, it's, could they potentially make more advertising on it than they would make just selling it to Luminary? Like all of these things factored in to being that the content that was available for purchase just wasn't, I think, of the caliber that it needs to be to be like an HBO, right? Like you need to have that, you know, House of Cards or Game of Thrones or, you know, to sell that, that subscription to users. And it just wasn't there. And whether they can get there is just really a question of if they can, they feel like they can get that content up to meet that bar. Um, mm -hmm. But that's just not what we're seeing. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, my, I'm pretty sure they won't be able to get there. Like the fact that you had to explain what Luminary was to the audience, for those who don't know, probably tells you everything you need to know about well, I mean, how they're in the doing. same situation as Quibi. Like we can watch them both do, do the I same I think people thing. have actually, more people have heard of Quibi and I think they actually like had a relatively large number of subscribers out of the gate. I don't think a lot of those people renewed, but I think like to your point, Lee, most people don't have never even heard of Luminary despite sort of all the money they, they raised and burned on shows. Like one thing to me that seemed really wrongheaded is they basically bought up all this content without having a product in the market, without having any data. And so I don't know what they were making those purchasing decisions on, maybe just like the taste of some executives who they hired and, you know, probably overpaid. Yeah, we did, we had a lot more data going in when we were talking to the production companies. We were like, well, here's what people like. And then it right. just, it, you know, it's, it's hard to put all that, that together. Well, while Leah was talking to those production companies, I was talking to investors 
And like, basically our strategy was like, Luminary was buying up all this content, but they didn't have an app. We had an app, but we didn't have any content and we didn't have the capital that they did. But like if Luminary was a huge success out of the gate, we would have been able to really quickly raise that capital. Like I basically had investors who were like lined up and committed to being like, hey, if this Luminary thing's a success, like we believe in you guys, like we'll give you like the same amount of money that NEA gave them and you can go, you know, race race them to the finish Go line buy content you know right and i think we could have even been smarter about the content based so, on sort yeah because we had all we this had, data yeah. we actually knew what people listened to so you know yeah. even if they had like a three-month production lead on the content we could have caught up really quickly and, and i think overtaken them honestly with even like half of the capital that that they had and we had that capital lined up so i was honestly like rooting for their success out of the gate i really was, yeah. was hoping that that they would do well uh, honestly like sincerely but, but that, that seemed not to have happened. Yeah, I think what was really challenging about their approach was they were trying to build both sides of the marketplace at the same time. They were trying to get all of the content without having a base of demand. And so they, it was this huge bootstrapping exercise of both building up the supply side and the demand side at the same time. And so had to raise a ton of money, had to buy the content without really having awareness and knowledge of what users actually wanted to listen to. So I think that the approach was just super, super challenging. Leah, I think your point about content creators saving their best content for the open ecosystem is really interesting. I think this is a point, a tension that has been brought up with passion economy models and with anything Mm -hmm. that involves a paywall is as a creator, how do you decide what to actually paywall? Do you give your free content? Do you give your best content away for free in order to generate those paying subscribers? Or, you know, do you save the best content for your paying subscribers because presumably they're paying for something in addition to what you're offering to the broader audience? Yeah, and it's it's really difficult to get the financials to tip over to make sense to paid content. So Tim Ferriss ran a short experiment where he did paid content and he ended up switching back to his advertising supported model just because he was making more money from the advertisers and from paid subscriptions. And I'm saying that you couldn't make more money from paid subscriptions than advertisers, but you'd have to figure out how to grow that audience. I mean, have content that was you know, really, really compelling and enough that people would be willing to part with money as opposed to right now, it's actually like for listeners, they'll listen to a podcast with ads, they'll listen to host red ads, host red ads are like super successful. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, competing with host red ads, I think is also very difficult. The the place where that paid subscription really works is on content that's too controversial to be for average. Yeah, someone just said that in our, our chat. Alan said it's interesting about the play of podcast allows new formats and types of content that are not conducive to being ad supported, such as niche content. There was a lot of stuff like that. Like on HBO, I remember like Bill Maher got kicked off of ABC with his politically incorrect show and HBO picked it up because again, like the reason ABC pulled it, I think it was ABC, it might've been CBS was because like advertisers didn't want to, it was like too controversial for advertisers, but not too controversial for HBO. And Um, I will say there are, paid audio apps that are controversial, which I will not name. Yeah, well, even just look at the the top list. (laughs) Just just look at the top shows on Patreon, right? Like it's a lot of like political stuff or, you know, things that aren't really politically correct. And I think, yeah, I think like that's that's where you see success, but those are pretty small scale successes. Like even like the top two or three shows on Patreon are pretty small when you like compare them to like the top advertising uh, supported shows. Right. Totally. What do you think? I mean, Sam Harris, I think has maybe done like the best job of this where, you know, he's, he's only doing subscriptions now, no more ads. And he's also has like a sort of calm.com like headspace competitor. That's like, I think bundled in, I'm not sure if it's a separate purchase or what, but he's got this whole strategy around paid audio that seems to be like much more well-developed than your average. It, it's, it's interesting how that seems to be what's working there and not just sort of like a Substack for podcast approach, at least so far, you know, there's not a lot of like, like, like individuals with like a podcast that are, I guess the other one, Acquired FM. I'm just thinking of stuff that's like roughly in my world. Yeah. I'm just curious. Yeah, no, like, look, I'm an, acquired, I'm an acquired subscriber. I love their content. They have yeah. a really good mixed model of like some free, some, some paid. You know, Sam Harris, he's an incredibly principled person. I would put him in that category of political content. I don't think he's necessarily like at one end of a political extreme, although he has some sort of heterodox ideas that, that he likes to talk about. And I think his strong principled view is that advertising 
he doesn't even want the impression that advertising might corrupt what he's saying. But I think he's leaving on money on the table as a result of that. So, gotcha. you know, how much could he make if he had an advertising supported podcast? I'm almost certain the answer is more. But, but yeah, also I mean, a lot you're of right. the subscription is well. the meditation app. So we could move into sort of like there are other categories of audio other than podcasts where subscription models have been successful. And I would put the meditation thing into sort of like a fitness bucket, mm-hmm. like a self-improvement bucket. So the stuff we're seeing in China um, with their paid o- podcasting apps being more about learning. Mm-hmm. Um, so something yeah. like masterclass, or I would count those all, even that, that, yeah. though that's video, like counting that in sort of like the learning, paid learning se- sector. Knowable. Learning and fitness are two, two other areas right. that, that audio has played well in. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it's really interesting to compare and contrast what has happened to the U.S. podcasting ecosystem versus in China. I think China is a market where audio content is primarily paid. And I think that has come about as a result of the fact that there really isn't a free and open podcasting ecosystem the same way that has developed in America. Like there's not... I. To my knowledge, there's not an open podcasting ecosystem where you can just download an app and listen to all like all of this free, amazing, high quality content. I think what has made subscription premium podcasting really challenging in the US is that an alternative to that is just all of the free, amazing content that already exists. Like to the whole luminary Netflix for audio thesis, I think the Netflix for audio kind of already exists in the US and it's entirely free and it's the open ecosystem that doesn't exist in China. And so users have to pay in order to get access to really high quality audio content. And as a result of them paying, there's greater budgets to be able to produce content that is more niche, more targeted towards certain topics, goes into greater depth and serves maybe a smaller audience, but the AOVs are much higher. Yeah, we were we were actually experiencing like huge growth in China, like towards the end of last year, like just more, more signups and uh, usage than, than we had ever seen before. And then it uh, suddenly went to zero. But uh, um, <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Um, because yeah, your app was taken off the um, I don't know if our app is on the app store or everything runs through our servers. So um, it wouldn't be that hard to, to block us. And I know that's happened with, with a bunch of other apps more recently. But yeah, we were seeing huge growth in China until we weren't. And um, yeah. yeah, I think that's that's unfortunate. But yeah, it's a totally different ecosystem there. I think to call, I, I mean, Lee, you know way more about it than than probably either of us. So I'll I'll leave my two cents, but but feel free to correct me. You know, what what's happening in China with paid audio content, I wouldn't call that podcast. I think it's something different. I think mm-hmm. it's maybe more analogous to like short audiobooks, which like right. in the US is paid and also happens to be like a huge market, but nobody like expects audiobooks to be free. And in fact, they're actually quite expensive. Like they're the same price as regular books, often more. So, you know, I think that's, it's just like a different world. And in the same way that like podcasts aren't audiobooks, you know, audio in China is is a completely different market from from audio in the US. But I, I think your thesis about like, the reason it's thriving there is because there isn't that open ecosystem, I think is is totally right. Yeah, absolutely. I want to delve into monetization a little bit more because I think one of the recurring themes that came out of studying this ecosystem is that podcasting still remains a labor of love for many podcasters. They don't monetize it. It's something that they do on nights and weekends just because they love it and they have difficulty monetizing it because they are too small for selling ads or, you know, they don't know how to set up a Patreon or it's too complicated or whatever, but it just remains a hobby and it's not really legitimized to them as a form of work. And I'm curious on your thoughts on like, how do we change that? What's needed to change that? Um, How do we make it such that not just like the top 1% of podcasts are able to monetize, but really everyone is able to be able to drive an income from this? Yeah, I think there's a few things missing. I mean, one is just like size and scale um, and that'll get there eventually. And I think like a lot of the work that we're doing and, you know, work that Spotify and others are doing to, to promote podcasts is helping with that. You know, I think if you look at an ecosystem like YouTube, I don't know what percentage of YouTubers are able to make a living doing it, but I would guess it's actually like only the top 1%. I don't think there's, you know, something like 10 or even 5% of, of people who post videos to YouTube do that as their, their full-time job. I think a lot of people just do it for fun and there's nothing wrong with that. 
But you know, obviously one advantage that YouTube has in terms of monetization is it is sort of a centralized marketplace, right? The, the buyers, the ad buyers all come to one place. YouTube is able to sort of ag- aggregate the, the demand as well as the supply and, and you know, set prices efficiently. They're also able to do a lot better sort of tracking and things like that, right? Like the way that podcast advertising works now, the sort of most kind of state of the art is these host read ads, which like in the television marketplace, harkens back to like the 1950s when you would have newscasters, you know, reading out ads for, for various products. There's no tracking on it. There's no sort of ability to affiliate that, that ad with, with a purchase. And as a result, you know, products, the, the only way they can get that affiliation is through discount codes. And mm-hmm. so you're basically starting out at like a 10 or 20% discount. Uh, you know, you're spending probably 20, 20, 10 or 20% less on advertising than you would be able to otherwise because you have to eat this discount because that's the only way you can do attribution. And so, you know, I think somebody eventually will figure out, uh, will figure out how to do attribution and, and click tracking and things like that. And yeah, I think like the space will grow. I think there will be a, a exclusive market in the same way that like TV, which is a very mature market, you know, the Super Bowl is, you know, very large, you know, advertising supported content. And then you also have giant, you know, businesses like HBO, that are, are free and, or, you know, Disney plus, I mean, now there's like so many of these uh, subscription services, Netflix and uh, Hulu's kind of a, a, you know, hybrid, but yeah, I think you have a lot of these models where, you know, I guess the, the hybrid nature of, of Hulu kind of speaks to the maturity of the market, right? Where you have advertising, you have paid, you have stuff that's, that's in between. And I think, you know, television has been around for 70 years now and podcasting has been around for, you know, really, you know, I mean, maybe technically 20, but really in the public imagination, only 10 or, or even less than that. So yeah, I think we'll get there eventually. It's it's just going to take time. Yeah. And now there's all these like Substack for podcast companies that are popping up that enable creators to set up a paid feed and to have people pay a subscription for access to premium content. Um, for instance, like Glow, Supercast, or some of the companies in this space. I'm, I'm curious about your thoughts on those types of approaches of just enabling creators to have easier tools to create a paid podcast. Like, I think my, my opinion is that the user experience is still quite clunky for those. And as long as the user experience is full of friction, I think we'll see relatively low conversion. I think that's right. I also think just at a fundamental level, like most people don't want to pay. This was kind of the point. So I think here's, there's two problems with it. And I do think it works well for the people who it's working well for, you know, power to them. I think there's hybrid models like uh, what Acquired is doing. I think they're really smart. I'm an Acquired subscriber. I'm also a dithering subscriber. subscriber and I think what Ben Thompson and, and John Gruber are doing is smart and interesting. But I think at some fundamental level, Users don't want to pay, right? They would rather have the content for free, all things being equal, even if there's ads, um, and especially because the ads are skippable, right? Like that's another thing um, about like the sort of fundamental nature of podcasts is the ads are skippable. Yeah. So, you know, that's another reason why it doesn't monetize as well as maybe it, it possibly could. Um, but yeah, most people want free content. And then as Leah was saying earlier, most podcasters want a bigger audience, right? If you said all things being equal, like you're going to have the same amount of money at the end of the day, would you rather have 1,000 paid subscribers or you know, 10,000 free listeners ad- advertising supported? I think every podcaster, everyone we've ever talked to has always said, oh, well, I'd rather have you know, 10 times as many people, all things being equal, if I'm gonna have the same amount of money, because um, totally. I can use that audience to you know, promote my books or live shows or what, you know, however else they make money in other ways, right? They, in general, people who want have podcasts, want to have an audience, they want a a bigger audience. So, you know, I think there's definitely like a world for, you know, everyone having their, their thousand true fans or hundred true fans who support them. And I think, you know, companies that are enabling that is great, but I always think it's going to be kind of, you know, more more niche than, than Mm -hmm. really at at the mainstream, you know, the podcasters want to maximize their audience and the, the listeners don't want to pay. So I think, you know, for the real Super Bowl type podcasts, it's always going to be be free and ad supported. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Okay, let's go to audience questions. If you guys have questions, put it in the Q&A. 
We'll start with the first question that's here. So Alan asks, what is your take on other segments of audio, such as live audio, like Clubhouse, audio courses, et cetera? I love Alan's last name too. Alan, is that LaCroix? How do you pronounce that? Is it LaCroix? I'm, I don't I'm, think they uh, can unmute curious. themselves because we're on yeah. webinar can mode. Can you type it's the like answer? Zoom webinar <laughs> It's kind of stilting for this for this format, but yeah. Yeah, interesting. The second one, LaCroix. Alan LaCroix. I mean, I think that is how we're supposed to pronounce LaCroix, the drink as well. But No, because no it's from Wisconsin. And there's oh, okay. it's really, LaCroix yeah, it's really LaCroix, LaCroix, right? Yeah, yeah. it's LaCroix. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm from Minnesota. <laughs> uh, yeah, Maybe Alan is from New Orleans or his ancestors oh, right. yeah, are. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm curious what your take is on live. Mexico, and okay. And stuff like that. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think we've talked a little bit or covered a little, you know, mentioned a few other types of audio other than podcasts, um, fitness, meditation, e- like learning and books, totally different other forms of spoken audio. And we're just talking about spoken audio too, not even getting into music. So there are like a lot of different formats and we're starting to see more novel formats. The ones that are coming up are sort of teleconferencing. So Clubhouse, TTYL, sort of like really more, the one I'm kind of looking forward to, I hope something does, is live radio. So a friend, friends of mine run like a live radio station on the web. Um, we haven't seen as much of that um, mm. happen yet, but that, that could be really interesting. I think there's a lot of new stuff coming up in this, this space all the time. And I think there will continue to be more audio as it gets easier to sort of produce, both produce the content and for listeners to listen to it. Like I was saying, the devices are really helping sort of like yeah. move the on-demand audio content um, forward. Um, so it'll be curious to see where that goes. I feel, totally. I feel like that would be cool for like, especially from a podcaster and I already have a relationship with Breaker. Like I've got a profile, I've, I've got a user account, all that stuff, which most apps don't, don't have that to just have like a go live button could be. Could you just be. want to go yeah. live with your podcast all the time. Yeah. It's definitely something we've talked about. Clubhouse is super interesting, obviously too, in terms of like going live. And I think insofar as things like Clubhouse exist and thrive, it will probably push podcasts in the other direction. So like Clubhouse will be all about like live, like what's happening now, current events type stuff. And, or just like, yeah, like rambly, if you will. Like I think there's a lot of rambly podcasts today. And I think (laughs) the content on Clubhouse is kind of similar. Like it's not it's not edited, right? It's not tight. The thing that's interesting about yeah, it is podcasting like, is actually like a pretty diverse field of content yeah. in terms of production values and quality of audio on one side and then the other like content, like what kind of stuff is covered in podcasts. Like, you know, we it's funny to work at Breaker and we're kind of an app that does comedy and horror and mystery and news and dot, dot, dot interviews. Like it's just, it's all, the content is just all over the place. Um, and the listenership is as well. Like, it's not like, oh, you, you know, I think the type of podcast that, you know, maybe the four of us listen to aren't necessarily typical of the, the podcast ecosystem at large. Right. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I, I think the but I listen about- to some pretty trashy podcasts. So Eric, yeah, I, I was going to say, even between you and me, Leah, we, have, we have very different tastes in, in podcasts. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you know, what was I going to say? About, I completely, completely live, lost my train of thought. Live pushing podcasts in the other direction. Oh, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, do like you really need an emergency pod if there's like, you, you just go to Clubhouse, you know? Right, exactly. I, and I think that'll push podcasts to be like really like more like tight edited, the kind of longer rambly, like three hour things will, you know, maybe some people will record those and put those out. But I think people's standard for podcasts, like, okay, if I'm going to like intentionally tune into this thing, my, my sort of quality bar is, is going to be higher because, you know, I'm going to just assume that, okay, if you had time to edit it, like, why didn't you edit it? If I, if you didn't have time, if you didn't edit it, like if you didn't edit it, why isn't it live? Why aren't you just like doing this on Clubhouse or one of these other platforms? Totally. So I think, I think Clubhouse is really interesting and it'll probably push podcast content to be more like high end, like towards that kind of like 1% edited. Yeah. I, I'm also really interested in how COVID and Zoom changes things in podcasting because, I mean, it used to be the case that we, at least at A16C, we filmed all of our podcasts live or recorded them live in our studio. Everyone had to come in to the same location. We cared a ton about audio quality. So we made every guest come into the office and record it in our studio. And now obviously all podcasts are recorded 
remotely over the internet. And I think that opens up a whole world of possibilities in terms of interactivity, making it live, like, you know, this is going to become a podcast and yet audience questions are like getting weaved in and going to be part of the final content, which I think is really interesting. I think there's a like a lot of people don't realize that Zoom actually has a lot of power user features that can be adopt adapted to creating and producing a podcast, like recording the separate audio streams. So I think the fact that we have all gone virtual will mean that podcasters explore different ways to interact and bring their audience in to the actual yeah, podcast. Yeah, I, I think one thing that's great about podcasting is that the production costs are so low, right? Like you can do a pretty high quality podcast with your phone or, you know, really cheap audio equipment, maybe a couple hundred bucks, where like video, like I'm actually surprised at how poor, for example, like the talk shows, especially like their interviews, yeah. like the interview segments, like the video like quality on those going on right now? is just garbage. And like, yeah. you know, maybe for the first month or whatever that you would have accepted that, but you think by this point, they would have figured out how to like send someone a, you know, video camera, set up in a box with lighting and everything, but- See, not everyone can be Chris Harrison and have Chris Harrison's awesome son to film Bachelor. <laughs> the Bachelor <laughs> stuff is really well made right now. And I'm just like, wow, they know how to do this sort of like live, you have to be at home, like sort of stuff. It's funny yeah. to see like which television teams are really good at that. <laughs> but yeah. for like interviews where you have like a different guest every night, which is like a pretty mm -hmm. common podcast as well like all the late yeah. night shows like the video quality it's just like embarrassingly bad like i'm seeing pixels on my like hd tv and it's just like gross right and i honestly like i can't even bring myself to to watch it and so like where like audio i think if you're just recording that audio channel you know the quality can be a lot better with uh, a lot less work so you know you don't need hair and makeup and lighting and and all that other stuff so you know i think that's in some ways like a huge advantage for podcasts it's like if you could if you could create a business that was like you know similar to netflix or, or youtube but you know where the production costs were you know a small fraction of that even to do really high quality content you know to me that's one of the things that's most exciting about the podcast market in general and I think like the other thing that's super exciting about podcasting is there's so many modalities where all you can really do is listen to audio, like when you're driving or, you know, maybe you're out walking the dog or exercising or washing dishes around the house, things like that. Like for me, those modalities, like we don't compete with Facebook. We don't compete with, keep, compete with Instagram or Snap or TikTok or any of these other apps. Um, literally, the only thing we compete with is like music and phone calls and you know, I think people of sort of our generation and younger don't particularly like phone calls. I can say that at least speaking for myself. I, I'm not a big fan of, of talking on the phone. There's a lot more efficient ways to communicate most of the time. And, uh, you know, I think music, like again, you know, music's great. I'm not going to say anything bad about music, but, you know, if you're really motivated to, to, you know, learn something or be entertained in a way that's, you know, a little more novel, not just listening to the same song over and over again, you know, podcasts are great for that. And I think people are discovering that more and more. So yeah. yeah, we're super excited about that. Yeah, podcasts are sort of like a leaned in listening experience, whereas music is sort of leaned back, I think. Exactly. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Although, you know, that said, I like fall asleep. I fall asleep listening to podcasts now almost every night. Interesting. Yeah. I do too. It's a weird, it's like a bad habit because my, I feel like it's bad for my ears to like fall asleep with my AirPods you in. Do, do you have the, they make these like face masks now with the... Oh, really? Yeah. That's, I need that. That's what I need. Yeah. yeah. No, I have the same, I have the same thing as do you, it. Nathan. Now that you look same. nice today is back as California King. I just can't mm -hmm. resist like I getting a few chuckles into Merlin Man uh, before I go to bed. Yeah. yeah you, gotta no, get, you gotta get the face mask. I, I'm giving all the listeners this podcast a tip. Yeah. Get on Amazon.com, order that like uh, sleep mask with uh, headphones in it. I think it's mostly for sleeping. Yeah. Face mask for it. sleep. They have running on ones planes. too that are like headbands that are soft for running. Sleep. Yeah. The, my, my pro tip for listeners is black sheets. So mm. if, you, if you listen to your AirPods, if you put in your AirPods as you fall asleep and then you wake up in the morning, you have this problem that the, they've inevitably fallen out of your ears and are somewhere in mm. the bed. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. If you have white sheets, which almost everyone does, then it's impossible to find them. Where if you have AirPod locating black sheets, um, <laughs> then they stand right out. 
like just, uh, yeah, I feel like this turned into like a fun like tips for podcast <laughs> listeners. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Let's um, take the last question from the audience, which comes from Allison. What are your favorite ways that you've seen that podcasters have engaged their listeners beyond the podcast itself? You mentioned locked podcast content, apps, and audio courses. Any standouts there or new ideas you're excited about? This is really interesting. Well, Breaker has some really interesting things that have been really fun to watch, like the use of comments mm-hmm. um, and getting to see what your friends comment on things and being able to like comments. All of those have been like really fascinating to see sort of how people use that. And then our in our Android app, we added a feature to add sort of emoji reactions at certain points in the audio. And that oh, feature cool. just was like super crazy and is, is like really interesting to see what people do with it. So sort I think like we'll see- cloud time-stamped emojis. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we'll see. I think this is still like an area TBD. I know that podcasters want to engage with their audience more and the audience wants to engage with podcasters and we're, we're starting to see things emerge, whether that's like through comments or call-ins or, you know, I think it's really interesting. Eric, I don't know yeah, if you've seen anything cool. It's less of a thing during like COVID times, but like podcasts, a lot of, I've been to a bunch of podcast live events where yeah. podcasters will you know, rent a big music hall for an evening and tour around the country, you know, selling out venues for, you know, to to listen to live versions of their podcasts. And, you know, I know a lot of political podcasts have done that and and had a lot of success. And there, you know, that's a whole different, I mean, form of monetization. In some ways, actually, you can make an analogy to the music industry, where most, you know, most most recording artists, musicians, don't make money on streaming or, or selling CDs anymore. The way they really uh, make make their money that they get to keep is from touring, and um, you know you could have a similar scenario where with a podcast where you have a popular podcast and maybe you make a little bit of ad revenue from that, but your main ad stream is is selling out venues across the U.S. And you know I've paid upwards of fifty dollars to to go see my favorite podcasters live, and and you know it was a a packed hall. I think it was sold out. So you know, at a, a quite large venue in, in San Francisco. So, you know, I think there's lots of ways that, that monetization will, will happen. And yeah, I think like the more sort of touch points that, that podcasters can have with their audience, you know, whether that's on Twitter, you know, in a live event, you know, not, not just through that audio stream. Yeah, lots of people are, are having success in, in a lot of different ways with that. Yeah, and I think this is a great example of that, of how podcasting, engagement evolves and how new platforms can be utilized by podcasters that don't even really feel like a podcast, but, you know, are an evolution of how the content creator and their audiences engage in novel ways. And I think that's a good point to wrap. Thank you guys so much for coming on today. We try to keep the show on track and on time. Thanks so much for coming. This was super interesting and fun and informative. So let's give it up to Leah and Eric. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for coming. Thanks so much for having us. It's really a pleasure.